Hi everyone, my name is Jeanette. And my name is Hermela. Today we are here with the new guest, Yan Hong, who's the current Cambridge City Manager. Today we welcome you back for season two with the stances and perspectives of the local government in our Two Bucks conversation. As always, we will be addressing our through-line question, can and should corporate entities play a greater role in our education? So, hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being here. So, to start off, we just wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about who you are and your path to becoming the city manager. Sounds great. Uh, my name is Ian. Uh, I feel like this has been kind of a journey. Uh, you know, I feel like I started my career really thinking about how I can make a difference in the world. Uh, and coming out of college, a lot of what I was really passionate about was global health and development. And that became uh, a set of work that I was trying to do. Um, I did work uh, in consulting, traveled around the world, and I think there was a lot of meaning I found in 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 helping. I was working um, I was working with foundations and corporations, uh, and. And I think the challenge I really had was just the distance to the work that was actually happening and the people that we were trying to help. Uh, and so I ended up moving from global health and development. I spent a little bit of time at Boston Public Schools uh, and then ended up at Boston Medical Center, so a local hospital safety net provider. Um, and I really felt such meaning to be closer to uh, my community and to be working in a space that both um, had this very deep mission, but also had a large and complex operation and organization behind it. Um, and I think when I saw the city manager position in Cambridge open up, um, it got me really excited. I think it was an opportunity to really serve uh, the community I was living in. Uh, this is the city that's going to shape my children who, um, who go to Cambridge Public Schools. Um, and I think it was a chance to uh, hopefully use some of these skills and capabilities to um, to really uh, shape an organization, to build a culture, and to find ways to, uh, to to build on a lot of what's been working in the city, but also find ways that we can we can improve. Awesome. Yeah, that's so inspiring, and thank you for sharing. Um, and thank you for all the work that you've done this far. Definitely an impactful one. Um, we did want to ask, not all city, cities have city managers, so we wanted you to expand a little bit more about what the city manager role actually entails and how to, like, what in the city government do you do? Because um, I know a lot of our listeners may not know, like, what a city manager does, so we definitely want to, like, share that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting form of government. And so there is a nine-person city council that is elected, uh, and they really serve as the governance body. Uh, they represent the people and set policy direction. And I meet with them every week uh, where we have public meetings and talk about how the city's going and, uh, and work that they really want to both get updates on and new ideas that come through. And so the city manager's job is to then run the city and implement a lot of the work that the council has set before uh, before us, uh, but then also to help bring the council more professional management and advice. And so I think what I really see in this uh, form of government is there is much more of a shared power structure uh, where there's both a professional element that the city manager and the city staff are bringing, uh, but then you have nine city councilors that are making decisions, forming consensus, 
and uh, and making those important political and representative decisions. Uh, and that is very different than uh, than a more familiar uh, structure where I think a strong mayor tends to really concentrate power more and that person does a lot more of the decision making. Mm. Great. And what would you say was something that's surprising within your role? I know you're new um, to being city manager. So what was something that has been surprising thus far? I think that I have enjoyed some of that. I think I've enjoyed some of that structure. Mm. And so um, I think maybe I entered it with a little bit of trepidation, but I actually feel like it works in its own way. You know, I think there's a there's a messy dynamic where we are working out, you know, how do we make decisions and uh, and where is there consensus on the council and how are they influenced by the voice of the professionals within the city, the leaders that are bringing them uh, data or, ev- or data or recommendations. Um, but I think that that process of figuring out, like how do we as a community make decisions together has been really exciting to me. And, uh, and I think that that's been really rewarding. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I bet this role takes a lot of collaboration, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, conferring and thinking of new ideas. And I bet that there's a lot of things that are on your hands right now. So we thank you for being here. And to kind of talk about one of the things that kind of happened recently in the city, we understand that we're in the midst of the city annual annual budgeting process, which was happening um, at the moment. And we were wondering if you can explain how the city's budget, budget development overall, and then more specifically, the school budget, how is it organized? How is How do you work on it? And what are the steps involved with that? Yeah, so um, the overall city budgeting process is really guided by the direction that the council has set. Uh, And so we are really looking at a lot of the council's priorities. We meet every week and have a lot of conversations about uh, areas of new initiatives where the council is looking for us to make progress. Um, I think sometimes people don't realize how much of the budget is already built. Mm-hmm. Um, from year to year, you know, you can actually see you have a lot of departments that exist, programs that have been set up over the years that we continue to run. And so a, a big chunk of the budget is really spoken for and then carries forward year to year. And then a lot of what we are trying to do in this year's budget, and I think the, the budget has become increasingly transparent over time, is to highlight what are areas that were really growing as a result of conversations with the council. Um, I think this year, you know, universal pre-K was mm-hmm. the largest item that we're actually seeing significant financial investment. Um, that's been a long-term council priority, and there's been a lot of planning over the years to, to get to a launch in fall of 2024. But this is the first year where we're really seeing uh, a significant spending increase that we're budgeting for, uh, and we'll also see that next year. Um, climate change is another priority that the council has identified, and we're really committing toward more resources, toward uh, toward reducing building emissions, um, and so that's a big area. And then uh, spending on housing and homelessness has been going up as well. Um, so coming out of the pandemic, um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of importance to stabilizing our shelter capacity. Uh, so that's an area where there's been a lot more funding. So um, so we sort of the city the city puts together the bu- the budget based on a lot of the 
guidance coming from the council and the community. And then we submit it to the council. That happened on May 1st. And then we hold public hearings where, where we have con- conversations with the councilors uh, and get feedback. And then the final budget hearing will be in a couple of weeks on June 5th. Um, the school budget, I think you asked about, uh, is, uh, is something where the city has a role in setting the overall budget. Um, but then uh, the governance structure of the schools really goes to the elected school committee and the superintendent. And uh, they've done a lot of work to, uh, to determine where the budget's going to land, to figure out any changes that are going through. And then they really bring that to the council for a vote. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do. I have noticed in the past week uh, the key development of universal pre-K. So mm-hmm. congrats on that alongside Dr. Greer. Um, but we did want to know a little bit more regarding the schools. So what factors and considerations do take place when allocating funds to the school district? And how does the city balance the needs of the school district um, with other needs or other priorities that may be present? Yeah, there are early conversations where I think we align with the school uh, with the schools in terms of what that overall budget increase is going to look like. Um, and then I think I think a lot of it is that in this city we have had very generous funding overall for the school system, um, and uh, and there are a lot of other priorities that we are balancing. And so that's a bit of the conversation with the council to think about funding for the schools versus for a lot of the other priorities, whether you're talking about housing or open space or many of the other areas that they're looking to invest in. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're so grateful and so we have such an advantage being in such a well-resourced city with a lot of funding. And I know that especially with the budget, there's been a lot of community outreach. Um, I know that in the past year, um, Jeanette and I and a bunch of other students were able to participate in a couple of budgeting workshops, which was definitely a very interesting experience being able to like analyze the budget and see what's being spent on now, something that we'd like to see invested in more. And I think that that was a really great factor to it. Yeah, just to add on to that, like Carmela mentioned, um, we've been thankful to have the opportunity to attend some of these budgeting and public hearings and comment um, to give our take as students on what the budget should entail and what things we would like to see. So I think Cambridge as a whole does a very good job in community outreach, but ensuring Mm -hmm. that the voices of those who are actually affected by the budget, which are the residents, um, have a say and also have a place at the table with this decision um, and such a big monetary decision being made. Yeah, so to kind of build on top of that, we know that one factor of the budget is the per-pupil spending. And this is a very hot topic because Cambridge spends, I think, this year, last year, roughly about 35 k per pupil in the school district. And this ranking is the second highest in the entire state, which is amazing. And But however, despite a couple of these investments, there are some disparities that we've noticed in the educational systems. And we recognize a couple of these from the Equity and Innovation Report that came from the Cambridge Community Foundation. And to kind of build on top of that, the report basically says that fewer than 30% of Black and Latinx ninth graders are obtaining a post-secondary degree of any kind six years after graduating CRLS. And there are also a couple of others relating to this achievement gap. So we just wanted to ask, how do you reconcile the differences between the spending and the outcome at the moment? I think there's absolutely more work that needs to be done, both within the school system and then supports that the city uh, can provide. Uh, I mean, I think these are the really difficult conversations that we need to continue to have as a community. Um, And 
I do think there's more there's more connection to the students, families, and 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 the people that are actually living you know living out their lives and trying to chart out their journeys. Um, I think that a lot of what I feel like is more important is important is that we are listening to those voices. Um, I feel like a lot of the the work that the city has been working on with the mayor's office and the Cambridge Community Foundation around Rise Up Cambridge, the mm-hmm. $20 million cash transfer program is really a movement towards saying we need to actually look at families and say they actually need more resources and they are the ones to figure out uh, how to spend it. And that is what will give them more stability and help them make the investments that they need. Um, I think that's a big piece of how we continue to need to think about new programs. Um, but these are also just really difficult challenges. And, um, and I do think that oftentimes it is not always just a question of resources, but also a conversation about what are the right ways for us to, like what are the right programs to build? What are the right supports that we need? Yeah. No, I definitely like would love to add on to that. And I do think that we are so thankful to be in a city where this spending is something that is provided for our residents and our youth. Um, $35,000 is a lot of money. A lot of people may correlate that to a private school education and the tuition that that comes with. But I definitely think as a student who has seen the experiences and the lenses of a student, not only within private school settings, but also in public school, it's interesting to see how the restrictions of, even though we have all this money, there's a lot of restrictions, not just citywide, but also from the state level on what we can and cannot do. Um, And I think a very big thing that we love bringing into the conversation is the idea of COVID-19 and how Mm -hmm. that has disrupted this chain. Um, Obviously, inequities became super prevalent before the pandemic, but more so during it. And we definitely see how much needs and socioeconomic disadvantages our residents are facing. So obviously, with this institution of institutionalizing of the Rise Up program, this is a great way to address socioeconomics, but also a great way to understand that education Education. Although we're sending our kids to school, there's so much in the back end of that mm-hmm. um, on what goes on at home and, and things like that that all kind of culminate to a student's journey of schooling and education that I definitely think we need to bring into the conversation a little more. Yeah, definitely. And to kind of add on to that, I know that the school district and the city as a whole have been doing so much to kind of invest more in these families and these communities and the students. There have been a lot of things that have been developed recently, such as the Rise Up program. And in addition, I know that Parent Square was something that was, I thought, really amazing to kind of connect the schools more to the families. And I just think, like, I think all of the measures that have been taken by the city thus far have been doing such a good job at really engaging the community and what's been going on. And just props to that. I mean, I think there's a great system that's definitely occurring right now. Yeah, and adding on to that, we did want to ask and just bringing in two blocks into the conversation. Um, in Cambridge, we always look at the idea of a tale of two cities and how that is very prevalent within Cambridge, where we have institutions such as MIT, Kendall Square, and Harvard right down the street on either ends of our city, but yet two blocks away from the most innovative square mile on a planet. On the planet, we have a not-so-innovative school district and community. So although we're just two blocks away and that just like physical barrier and physical like parameters 
are there, there's a way more bigger metaphorical gap between the two. Um, so we definitely want to understand how we can bridge that gap, but also with what experience of being both com- being a part of both communities. Um, you have you are a graduate of Harvard University, and you also worked at Boston Public Schools. So we wanted to ask, how would you compare and contrast what you've seen at Harvard and the surrounding K to twelve educational communities? Yeah, I think I think it's such a good way to think about it because I think it really is sometimes a tale of two cities or you know, you have worlds that exist so close geographically, but they're not actually that deeply connected. And I think that's part of what um what I think we need to continue to work on as a community. Um I think it is uh it is a question of how you create greater investment between those parts of our city um, and find uh, find greater greater common ground to actually um, actually find pathways for people to live in both worlds. Um, I think in many ways it's also really difficult because when when you think about a Kendall Square, for instance, you have an ecosystem that is drawing from, you know, scientists and people working in innovation that are coming from, you know, not just our city, but all around the world. And I think when you go one block over, um, we have a really significant investment that the city's been making in building more affordable housing. Um, You know, we recently helped facilitate uh, the state to open up family shelter for unhoused families. And the people who are coming into those, you know, into that next door location are coming from such a different world. And that is where I think our community needs to find better ways to um, support folks and to figure out where can those connections be. Um, I know that there are a lot of conversations that we've been having more and more, not just as a city, but also as a state about job training and how we actually connect people into those better jobs. Um, and I think that's one of those paths, but we need to do a lot more than that. Yeah, I think that brings up a really good point. And the idea, and this is something we come to come back to time and time again, is the idea of how much of our youth, more specifically just in general, Cambridge residents can walk through Kendall Square and feel like they are represented, heard, and seen in that space. And that f- number is far too low. Even speaking regarding COVID-19, we have Pfizer and Moderna right in our backyard. But do our students actually know that those things are there? And that number, that answer is no. Um, for me, just growing up right outside of Kendall Square, it's really interesting to see how prevalent this tale of two cities is and almost like we're living in a bubble Mm. Um, and Kendall Square is doing so many amazing things for the world but what is Kendall Square doing for our city and the residents living within it because we are all in one city so I think that's something that is a very interesting power dynamic and power grass that I'm always thinking about is how can we be just like again like a whole proximity issue is like we're so close together and we're the same city Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of think of Kendall Square as its own entity in its own place which is fine but there's a very big disconnect that not only perpetuates racism but also all these like socioeconomic like struggles that we see 
Yeah, definitely. And to kind of add on to a bit of what you were mentioning, this bubble phenomena that we kind of always come back to is so prevalent. And I think that a lot of the times we fail to really look at it. And basically what this means is that everybody, we're in these two different worlds almost, as you mentioned, where the perspectives that we have are kind of confined within how we grew up and the way that we were raised. And I think I can speak for myself, at least I was born and raised in Cambridge my entire life. And I remember the first time I went to Kendall Square was sometime in middle school. And I thought that we were in Boston because I didn't expect these high rise cities in Cambridge. And I just think that there are so many people, students especially, who have probably experienced the same thing. And they lived in this bubble this entire life and they haven't really learned their perspective of those that are outside. And I think that that's kind of contributing to a lot of what we're seeing, a lot of the division and the difficulty that it's taking to connect these two communities together. And I think that that's something that there's been a lot of work happening to really fix that as well. Yeah, Um, I definitely want to add on to that as well and ask you, as someone who is overlooking the city and all these sectors, there's it's very interesting to see that you're kind of at the forefront of all these issues. Um, So there is a lot on your shoulders on like what problems to address and how to address. And again, we thank you for the efforts that you have put in in addressing all these issues um, that have come to your to your table so far. But we do want to understand and, and ask you that although you have so much going on, you're engaging in a lot of these cross-sector collaborative efforts. Um, and we were wondering like, what you've noticed um, to be the ease or difficulties and even obstacles that that process, such as the diversity, holds and how you go forth in addressing, but also making sure that all demographics and all of these stakeholders are addressed within your problem solving. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think, I think one of the... You know, one of the biggest challenges for, um, I think one of the biggest challenges for my job is how to find focus and mm-hmm. how to prioritize. Um, you know, uh, I think that the the interesting part, what I actually really love about my job is I get to really focus on solving problems. How do we implement well? How do we build a really strong city team that can reflect our values and uh, and move the city forward? Um, but I do think a lot of the challenge is that there are so many things that we want to work on, <clears throat> and a lot of what I am trying to figure out with the council is how do we prioritize? Like, which things are we working on this quarter? Um, what are we really trying to accomplish? Um, and so, uh, I think I think that might be my my thought in terms of where the conversation is as we think about how the city does make decisions on what we're addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can, you know, I can kind of very clearly talk about what we've been working on this quarter. It's really been the budget. I think there's been a lot of work on affordable housing, uh, on climate change, uh, on zoning to develop a lot of the space um, out near Alewife. Um, and and I think there's been a lot of work to get the Rise Up Cambridge mm-hmm. program launched. I could kind of go on. I will say I think a lot of the conversation about job training and economic development and building equity into that is one that I'm really excited about. I know that there's a lot of support for. I think particularly what I hear at the state level is an increasing focus uh, on jobs and economic empowerment. And so I think that's a really exciting conversation that I would love for us to be having more of. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I that brings up the idea of this almost we're we're so provoked by this like monolithic culture that surrounds Cambridge that I feel like that almost stops us from from doing or implementing change because I feel like everybody looking from the outside of Cambridge thinks that it's such a perfect place and like we have no issues because we have Harvard and MIT and Kendall Square um, all within the grounds of our city which is amazing but I do think even just from the school district wise that kind of blurs the line on like what needs to be done versus like what we can do to actually make change and implement change um and i think there's a very fine line that needs to be addressed more so and i know our school committee is working very hard and trying to address this whole idea and through line of equity and mm-hmm. although it's been a buzzword for the past couple of years i always come back to the idea of like walking your talk when it comes to equity mm-hmm. not only at the city level but also within the schools as we see all this like equity equity everywhere but how much of the residents are actually seeing an equitable experience flourishing beneath like within their communities and 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 livelihoods so i think that's something that is always interesting and it's like when you talk to someone from the city they're like oh we're doing all these amazing things and they're clear and they're there but the people who are affected by them Mm -hmm. or are supposed to be affected by them positively don't really have that much to say about them so Yeah, and I think that an interesting dynamic to kind of bring into that perspective or that idea of equity is that a lot of times when you think of other scenarios in which equity is brought in, it's when there's usually a lack of resources for certain students, communities, a system as a whole. But I think that in Cambridge, we actually have an overflow of resources. And kind of like we mentioned, there is so much happening in the city, so much amazing work, so many different opportunities. And I think that the resources, the opportunities are honestly endless. And I think that when we want to kind of if we're trying to tie Cambridge back into the idea of equity it's about how we use all the resources and opportunities that we have and make sure that they're equitably equitably being distributed to all people in the city not only those who are more privileged but also those who are underrepresented and that kind of ties back to the idea of for example in the school system specifically one really big manifestation of this unequitable system are the achievement gaps that we notice and I think that they're really prevalent once you kind of look into the school directly and you start to see the rates of certain students who aren't being in higher level classes or really in other scenarios as well. And I think that that's really one of the ways in which the school committee, everybody's trying to tie equity back into the school district and the school system. And I really wonder how we could use all of these amazing resources and Cambridge as a whole to our advantage because I know that the opportunities are endless here. Yeah. And I think just to, to before we get into the next question, the idea of like performity comes in when we think about these. And even like at CRLS, we've had so many issues with this achievement gap and how much like racial quotas we're instituting in our classes that has become a problem. And it be, has become a problem that administrators and our school officials are actually not talking about, but students are unveiling themselves. Um, throughout this whole year, we've have had this continuous conversation regarding AP and advanced placement classes and how there's like separate cohorts of these classes being made but then Mm -hmm. 
directly being targeted towards historically marginalized communities for them to partake in. So it almost is like a band-aid to this issue of wanting to address, like making sure we're having more students of color and more marginalized communities represented within these classes and these um, rigorous like course loads. But at the same time, there's nothing actually being done to address the overall problem. It's just a band-aid of, okay, let's make a separate class and then only tell students of color or students who may not have been represented historically within these classes to actually take this class for a a year long um, time at a time. So it's really interesting that dynamic is like, although our administrators are trying to be very secretive and like, oh, like we're addressing it, but students are very much unveiling and, and they're getting to the level where they're understanding how much of these systemic issues are perpetrating throughout the schools. I think these are such hard and difficult and charged conversations. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, I think I think I, I kind of hear that. I, I feel like um, a lot of what um, a lot of what I feel like we are we, we are starting to have, you know, more and more of those conversations within the city as well. Um, but I can see, you know, especially in the schools, it's particularly difficult. And. Um, you know, I wish I wish that there's there is like an honesty that I think sometimes we're afraid of um, because I feel like there is a need to just just confront some really difficult truths. And then I think my hope and, and I, I try to bring this as as we're as we're having conversations within the city, but it is to grapple with not just the scale and magnitude of the problem that I think we all recognize there's an urgency to address, um, but to find common ground on what we should actually do about it. Um, And I think if we're more focused on solutions and on like where we can make incremental improvements, I think that can always be valuable. I think there can be a despair when we end up looking at, oh, well, it feels like the things that we're doing don't match the scale of the problem. you know, I think we need to hold on to that hope that we can be working together, finding opportunities to make a difference, and then continuing to move forward. Definitely, yeah. And to kind of tie a bit of what you were saying into our next question, um, a while back we had one of our Two Blocks workshops at IDEO, and we were grateful for you to attend. And during that workshop, we bring up this idea a lot, but we talked about the um, Harvard Business School idea of creating shared value, and we define that as policies and practices that enhance the competitiveness of a company, and it works to improve the social and environmental conditions in the communities that it operates within. But then on the opposite spectrum, we have corporate social responsibility, which is basically just using business resources and investing it in the community just to be a good person as like a show performatism. And I think that you might have had some experience with these ideas, but we just wanted to ask you, what do you think it will take for sectors of the city to move from the CSR mindset to a creating shared value mindset? Yeah, I think I think it can be really powerful to get to that shared value because um, I do think you're tapping into some of the deeper interests that uh, companies or organizations have. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times it does end up boiling into, you know, jobs and access to talent. And I think in particular, uh, more diverse sources of talent. 
Um, I think that's that is a pathway, especially for a lot of Kendall Square to say, you know, there is a real opportunity uh, to be more connected to the city and to find, um, you know, the next generation of leaders. Um, but I think it is also really hard. You know, I think finding really compelling shared value business cases can be hard. And uh, and I think I think it does take a lot of work to frame those in the right way. Um, you know, I do think there is a component where even some of these two do merge. I feel like in some of my conversations with businesses, um, what I hear sometimes is they're trying to figure out what's happening in um, in city government. And part of what, you know, my pitch to them, and I think this is very similar to uh, to, to the conversations you've been having at Two Blocks, but it's that one of the reasons why you feel so disconnected from city government is that you're not connected with our community. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's why there isn't as much political engagement uh, between the business community and the city as there might have been 30 years ago. And so uh, I think I think over time, one of the things I hope that we can do is invite that business community in more and say what it means to be connected into the city council and city government and to participate in this landscape is to care about the things that we care about, which means how are you connecting into the schools? How are you connecting into uh, local jobs for those who have historically not had them? Um, and and that's a bit of the story around shared value to say, no, but you really are interested because if you want a voice in where the city's going, this is how you get that. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. definitely. And I think that also brings up the discussion of like efficacy and how these businesses, especially within the Kendall Square um, sector, are global like corporations. We have Google, Microsoft, and that's just to name a few, but their presence is not just within Kendall Square or Cambridge, but they're on a global scale. Um, and I think that's important to to realize in graphs is like, why Cambridge? And I think even when we're talking about within our city, it's like, like I mentioned earlier, the idea of like, oh, because we have all these institutions and places within our city, like nothing is wrong or nothing could go wrong. And I think even within Kendall Square, a lot of these businesses are having this idea of like, oh, well, we're thankful to be in such like the most innovative square mile on the planet. So I don't think we need to like give more than we're already doing by just mm -hmm. being in this city. Um, and I think that's something that's a really big grasp. And we've been talking with a multitude of different businesses on this idea of two blocks. And once they actually sit down and understand what Cambridge is and what goes on within our city, there's a very different conversation that mm -hmm. is that ends with than where we started. Um, so I think that's very just something that really shocks me a lot. Yeah, to kind of build on top of that, I think that after the conversations that we've been able to have over the past couple of years, I feel like there's a growth in the number of businesses um, that want to like take initiative and really move forward in working as a city as a whole. And I think that's something that we're trying to work on at the moment is how do we facilitate these conversations, not only within the city government, but also with the business community, with the entire city, um, just to... Every, just everybody who's in the city as a whole and I think that that's definitely going to be a hard conversation to have just because there's just a multitude of people who are trying to work to make this issue prevalent and that are in the city as a whole so many influential people and I think that ju that just comes back to the idea of how we would how we're going to make this collaboration work and now that everybody has the initiative to 
continue with this work? How do we initiate the conversations that we need to move forward? And that's kind of the, I'd say the place that we're at at the moment. And hopefully from there, we have a launching pad from which we can move on. Definitely. And I think this, I quickly want to bring this into the conversation, but the idea and the notion of accessibility and not only about when decisions are made and who's at the table present, but also whose voices are being advocated on behalf of, excuse me, but also who has access to these opportunities, these programs and these amazing things Cambridge has to offer. So we did want to ask you, how do you and your position of city manager help make accessibility a through line in sharing and spreading opportunities, not only at the city level, but also on the communal level? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of a lot of that has been baked into how I think the city has run. You know, you actually see so many programs that have been developed over the years by uh, both community input or counselors saying this would be like a really exciting way for us to serve our community. And if you actually look through, um, you know, the human services programs within the city, we have such a rich set of programs that are running from baby university serving new parents all the way up to uh, youth programs and out of school time programs for uh, for kids all the way up through uh, through the high school. Um, I think one of the things that we can do better is to open up more of those conversations to a broader set of folks. Um, I think in particular, there is this question of who gets to decide what a good mm. program is exactly. and um, what is the problem that we're solving. And, you know, I think I think that that is a shift in how we think about um, how we think about designing programs and sharing that power. And I feel like um, that's a direction that I certainly would want us to move in um, as we think about, you know, uh, challenges that we're facing as a city and new ways that we can make investments. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, accountability is, I think we can't all deny it. It should be an important through line that we have running through our community, our schools, our city government, just the entire city as a whole. And I think that once these these conversations are becoming more prevalent and like you said, it's a matter of who's there when the decisions are made. And I think that right now we're definitely working towards a point where we're starting to build more accountability in the system, more transparency in the sense that those who are being impacted, a lot of the community members, they're having a greater say in the decisions that are being made. And I think that this at the moment is having a really great outcome in how things are looking, at least on the equity and accessibility side of the discussion. Yeah, and I think this idea of transparency is also super important and just really dismantling individual silos. I think as a city right now, we have so much like going on that sometimes there's no collaboration there. I think we have a plethora of programs and resources available for our residents, but not a lot of people actually know about them or are able to access them in an equitable way. So I definitely think that breaking down those silos, not only when it comes to city government, but the schools, but also even just the community at large, is making sure that we're not only listening to each other, but also centering those not only concerns, but also what's working and, and continuing to implement that. I think you also brought up a really amazing point earlier about how we almost hyper fixate on the idea of problems that we don't think about the solutions to those problems. So mm -hmm. that's where I think even with two blocks, the conversation needs to be moved to is, OK, so what? We have all these issues and we have things that we want to work on. So 
let's acknowledge it, but move on to actually creating and instituting solutions to address these issues. Perfect. So it's kind of a wrap it up with our last question. We hope that this can tie together all the conversations that we've been able to have today. But um, something that we always come back to, something that we believe in, is that educating today's youth requires multiple stakeholders that Cambridge has. And based on your experience, we were wondering how might the city use its strengths to to leverage our resources and provide a more equitable experience for our youth? Yeah, um, I think that there's, you know, I think that there is work that we are doing to create a better overall ecosystem. I think universal pre-K is a big piece mm-hmm. of that where um, you can kind of see that um, that not everybody has had access to pre-kindergarten within the city. It's been, uh, you know, there are people who win the birth lottery and they have access to uh, junior kindergarten for four-year-olds mm-hmm. through the school system. And we are now gonna expand that to all four-year-olds and some three-year-olds. Um, I think a lot of this is, and and I'm very excited to be working with Dr. Greer much more closely, but creating more integration of of the areas where the school system and the city are overlapping. And, um, you know, that's that's part of what we've started to do on universal pre-K. I think it's a similar conversation on after-school opportunities. Um, And I hope that we can continue to figure out how we're building programs around our youth to support them better. Um, and I think there is a big uh, movement toward building equity into that conversation. Um, if you look at the last two, three years uh, around the after-school program, it has been both a really amazing journey and a really difficult mm-hmm. journey. Um, I, think, um, I think the after-school program really used to be a first-come, first-serve program um, where parents had to line up. Uh, in the middle of the day in order to get a spot. And that really did mean that uh, that parents that were working hourly jobs, um, you know, didn't have that flexibility. And you could see it reflected in the demographics of the people who were who are in the after school program, which is really important for uh, for parents and for children. Um, and so the city moved to a lottery system that prioritized lower income families. And you can see over the last two years, the program has become significantly more diverse, mm-hmm. um, more low income. But that's also come with a lot of challenges because, you know, one of the, the flip sides of the, of, the, of the pandemic is it's been very difficult to hire. Um, the program has not grown quickly enough. And I think we've also underserved uh, working parents, even if they are higher income, um, who really also need, uh, need child care. And so I think one of the things that we're working through is how do you both build equity into the way we run our programs, but also ensure that the programs are overall high quality, serving everybody who we need to serve. Um, and I think that's how we, we hope to, to, to continue to, to find ways to support our youth and support our families in the city. Definitely. And I think just to like end off, I think that idea of not only are the youth our future, but they're also the now and also the intersectionality that comes with a lot of these issues. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about, but also addressed more so is although we have an education system, excuse me, and a local government, but there's so much intertwining between the two not only with businesses and corporations, but also the community at large. So when having these discussions, I think it's important and necessary to have all these voices at the table, but also 
having their voices implemented, but also challenged at the same time. Because I think it's really hard to, and you know this firsthand, to grasp everybody's needs and wants, but also addressing the equity within that. Yeah, and to kind of build on top of what you were saying, I think that there is definitely a lot of issues that are at the intersection of this one larger issue, which is providing equity for the youth of our city. And I know that there's been so much work to kind of combat that. And it's definitely a lot of hard work. We can't deny that all of these issues, they're systemic. They're kind of made to be hard to dismantle. But I think that it, there's definitely a lot of work that's been done in order to kind of get to the root of these problems and make sure that we are moving forward with them, which is really amazing work that's being done. Definitely. So with that, do you have any last remarks or comments you'd like to make? No, this is so great to be with you all. And I think it's an amazing podcast. <laughs> and I'm excited, so excited to be here. And uh, there is really good work that I think um, you're doing and I think that that we all need to, to be committed to. Um, so um, so excited to, to continue to collaborate and, and be part of this work. Definitely. Thank, Thank you so you. much. <laughs> Thank we you. We appreciate your time. Thank you.